BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today's episode is with Dr. Tova Klein. She's the toddler whisperer. She's the director of the Barnard College Center for Toddler Development and an adjunct professor at Barnard College. She has a phenomenal book called How Toddlers Thrive, What Parents Can Do Today for Children Ages 2 to 5 to Plant Seeds of Lifelong Success. Today, we're talking about siblings and sibling relationships, sibling conflict, sibling transitions, the whole sibling gamut. And if you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a little review. And you can always DM me on at Raising Good Humans podcast on my Instagram. I am so excited to share this episode with you because siblings comes up all the time and siblings in a pandemic is a whole other ball game. Siblings are the biggest gift you can give a child, right? So you bring another child into the world. This is for life. It's going to be a lifelong relationship. One of the problems with that is when that new baby comes, they're pretty dull in the mind of the toddler. They don't play with them. They don't do much. And everybody's saying to the toddler, oh, you're a big sister, you're a big brother. And yet that toddler themselves is a baby still, really a baby. So to think of sibling relationship as a lifelong journey, not just that first week or the first month or the the first year, but to know that that's a relationship that's going to develop in time. One of the biggest challenges of having siblings is that it's love and not love or love and not like. So, you know, really, if you think about it, it's love-hate between siblings. And and I don't mean hate like in the adult world, but I want to be with you. You're my little brother or sister. Eventually, you'll be fun. I can't stand that you take all the attention of my mom and daddy. And so it's a very jealous relationship. At the same time, it can be the biggest bond that a child has. And let's face it, we hope that our children way outlast us and that they have each other for life and that they have each other's back. That's what you're hoping for. But it's not pretty all the time. And that's the hard part for parents is that you you bring a new baby home under the best of circumstances, it can be challenging. In a pandemic, it's been extraordinarily challenging for all the reasons that 
that people probably know. You can't have adults come over and visit. Maybe you haven't been able to introduce now a one-year-old to grandparents. You don't have the kind of help from friends or family that you normally would have, for better or worse. I mean, I've heard parents- For better or worse, totally. Yeah. In the end, we loved having this bonding time. It was just my three-year-old and the baby and the mom and dad, and we were so nervous about it. And yet it turned out to be really quiet. We had three months together with some rough spots, but we were just us. So there are some ways that some really nice connections came out of it. And yet most of us don't want to bring a new baby into the world and not share that joy with people that we love. So it's, it's been a challenge on many, many levels for people. Um, but even in the best of times, toddlers can ignore a new baby they can get aggressive with the new baby. They don't really understand what's going on. You know, particularly if you have that one and a half or two or two and a half year old, it's like, why would you possibly bring this little tiny baby into my life who doesn't play, doesn't sing, doesn't really- Contributing to this household. No, it's not. It's certainly not to the toddler's pleasure. (laughs) Sometimes language can turn into what we want for that relationship and it can seem a little bit forceful. What is good language to like, how do we refer to the baby? How do we talk about the big sibling? All of those things. Oh, and I guess the part two of that is I want to highlight what you said, which is they're babies themselves. And now all of a sudden they're not the baby. So they seem so much better, stronger, faster. Yeah. Yeah. But they're still just little, little, yeah. Yeah. So I want to address that. Okay. Or rather I want you to. Yeah. So when a new baby comes home, one of the problems for the toddler is suddenly our one and a half or two or even three or four-year-old looks giant compared to this tiny little newborn. And it's easy to forget that this firstborn is still a baby themselves. So what do we tend to do? We tend to say things like, oh, you're a big brother now, you're a big sister now. We imply that they have to love this baby all the time from the beginning, that they have to behave themselves in the name of the baby. And it backfires. Why? Because before that baby was born, it was all about that firstborn all the time. And they were the baby. They were the only baby. So it's really important that parents say to that firstborn, you are my first baby forever and ever. You're still my baby. Even though we have this teeny tiny new baby here, you are still my baby. And to remind them, I'm still your daddy. I'm still your mommy, even though we have this little baby here. It's very confusing to a young child to figure out, wait, what's going on? And if it's a mother who's nursing or a mother or father giving a bottle, wait, you're feeding that little person? What does that mean for me? Toddlers are still very self-centered. Yes, even your four and five-year-olds, they're very self-centered. And so to really say to them, you are my baby, even though there's a little baby here. And to try to stay away from the big, big language. You know, we're very eager for our firstborns to grow up quickly once we bring a newborn home. It's exhausting, right? So you're hoping they'll get out of diapers They'll move out of the crib. I'm not sure why parents often think this. Like, I I do know why they think it. It's, 
oh, I have a new baby. I want to eventually give that crib to that baby. And I tell parents all the time, no, do the opposite. Let your first one be a baby. If they are comfortable in their crib, it's a safe place. You can put them to bed at night. They'll stay there comfortably and the child feels safe. You don't want to push them to grow up quicker. You actually do better remembering how little they are. But grandparents and loving aunts and uncles and friends will keep saying to them, you're a big brother, you're a big sister. That's a little bit scary to a young child who still feels like a baby themselves. So it's always going sort of to the opposite of what you want. If you want them to grow up and be a loving sibling, which we all do, you have to remind them that they're babies. The other piece of that is for parents to be aware that of course you want your older sibling to love younger one. But it doesn't happen because we say, love your baby. It happens because it's a relationship that develops over time. And so parents can say something like, let's say you have a toddler who's being aggressive towards the baby or is trying to push the baby away. You can say to your child, you don't have to love him all the time. It's okay. Because for the toddler, That's not instant love, or maybe it is. You might see wonderful moments where your three-year-old wants to sit and hold the baby, stay right there with them because they'll hold, they'll kiss, they'll be very kind, and then suddenly they let go. I mean, they don't really get that this is another human being. So you stay close, or they, they do this wonderful thing where they start to hug the baby, and the adults say, oh, you're so sweet, and you're so loving, and it's basically praise, and the child keeps smiling, like I'm getting all this positive attention, and then it turns into the firmest grip you've ever seen in your life, and it's because that's really how they feel about the baby. And now I love this new thing, but whoa, I really don't love this new thing. The loving and not loving the baby are all normal feelings, so... The role of parents is to help the child know that's okay. You can be angry at the baby. It's so great. It's so great to say that because I'm sure so many people listening are worried that their particular kid is just kind of a terrible kid, a rotten person to the core, and they're going to be, you know, and it's just so important to normalize that. Yeah. And they can get, you know, young children when there's a new baby there. And sometimes it's not at the beginning. Sometimes it's around six, eight weeks when the baby really starts to wake up and smile more and the parents are delighted. Then the toddler gets like, wait a minute, who's getting this attention? Because remember, up till now, only that toddler's had the attention. And so then they start to get aggressive um, and do aggressive things. And again, they're not bad people, but they do need you to stay close. And say to them, like, I can't let you hit the baby, but you don't have to like her right now. Because they really do have a lot of anger and jealousy. And the more a parent can express it for them, the calmer the child actually feels. They don't have to feel ashamed of those feelings. They don't have to feel like they're bad. And then they also know daddy or mommy will protect me. They actually won't let me hurt this baby. I was just thinking about, it is, it's such a fraught relationship. And it feels so good to be able to say all of those things. Like imagine being the toddler who doesn't know that it's okay to have all those feelings because everybody's like, this is your new best friend. You're together forever. Right. And then you're just like, am I a horrible person? I mean, I don't think that they think that way, but just that confusing feeling, if it's not named, it just feels Yeah, they feel bad. They feel really bad. And then they increase their negative behavior, which is always so paradoxical from an adult point of view, you think, well, why do they then 
increase the bad behaviors? Why, why are they doing more to sort of piss everybody off? And it's because they're really saying, I really don't like this, or I miss the attention, or I don't understand why everybody's paying attention to that tiny little thing. And so I'm mad at that baby. And the more the parents can express it for the child by saying, you can be angry that mommy has to feed the baby right now, but as soon as I'm done, I'm going to read a book to you. Says to the child, those feelings are valid and I'm still here for you. Um, The other thing parents can do is involve the child at times that the child wants to be. Uh, So, you know, can you pick out a teeny tiny diaper for that little baby? Look how little those diapers are. They're so much smaller than yours. Or do you remember when you wore diapers when you were a teeny baby? And you know what? I still love you even though you wear underpants. So it's a constant reminder to the child that they still matter to the parent. So let's talk about those transitions like when you have a new sibling and you want to potty train or you want to transition into a big kid bed or you want them to share a room. Let's talk about each of those and the timing and because that probably happens more often, right? Like what you said, the idea of like, okay, I really want this baby to get the new crib. Right. So um, let's talk about that timing and kind of how to go about those things. So I, I think one of the things that happens when you bring a new baby home is you're ready for the first one to grow up. You may not have been the day before you went to deliver the baby, but right. now you are. You don't really want to in diapers. You're ready to move the crib to the baby. So and we give firstborns lots of messages like grow up, grow up, even if they're not quite ready to make that move. So best is to minimize the transitions. You thought you were going to potty train, or maybe she was on her way, or maybe he was even fully potty trained. But when that baby comes home or within a few weeks, you should expect a lot of regression. Maybe they want to go back to diapers or they just have a lot of toileting accidents. Anything that they're doing well is better to stick with through this early transition. So that means if they're sleeping well in a crib, don't rock it. If they're not so interested in potty training, don't push it. And to expect that there will be a delay on any of these pieces. I heard so many people at our original pandemic shutdown. So in you know spring of 2020, like we're going to toilet train our child. We're home. We're working at home. I kept thinking, mm, that doesn't sound like a great idea to me. And it wasn't for most people. Now, I do hear stories of children who successfully toilet trained through that. But for the most part, people were nervous and fearful. We didn't know what was happening. That's not a time to make a big leap. Mm-hmm. Right? So bringing a new baby home is a tense time. It's a wonderful time. It's wonderful to have a new baby. But it's also a big shift for the parents, for the child. And then in a pandemic, it's that much bigger of a shift because there's all kinds of worries on health and stuff. So that's the time to say, hmm, maybe we put this off. Maybe we don't put the pressure on. On the other hand, if you have a child that's very interested in that potty and wants to do it, follow their lead. But follow their lead rather than saying, I've decided it's time to make this change. (laughs) I'm just laughing at the fact that my nods are so enthusiastic and nobody can see that. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm enthusiastically just excited by everything that you're saying. <laughs> just hard to express. So now let's say your child, what, would we want to say six weeks or are we talking three months? 
of like waiting on transitions or do we kind of see how we're all doing? As you know, and as I know, (laughs) the trick of being tuned into your child, which is hard when you're sleep deprived, is trying to read your child. So if you have a potty out and your child is interested in using it, great, follow that. It really is following the child's lead. And I think if you go into any of these pieces with the mindset of having a new baby at home is a big change for the whole family, certainly for my toddler, then you know that even progress forward, like maybe you have a child who is moving to be out of diapers and is using the potty more, will also mean some steps back. But regression is a hallmark of transitions for children. So you can have that fully potty trained two and a half year old who really now does go back to diapers or just to more accidents. It's normal. They're not trying to be bad. They're Mm -hmm. regressing. We saw a lot of regression at the beginning of the pandemic. We saw a lot of regression when schools reopened gradually it shows you that the child's saying, you know, uh, this is new. This is stressful. This is a transition. I'm having a hard time. I always see it as communication. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, regression is regression communication. is communication. I'm having a hard time right now. So if you read it that way, then it's communication. And, and I think as a parent, we get less worried. Oh, Okay. This is a little too much for her right now. Maybe I take the pressure off or let's just stop talking about the potty. It's taken on a life of its own. Anytime something takes on a life of its own, back off, whether that's food, toileting, bedtime, because it's scary to the child. Why are they talking about this all the time? Oh, they're they're asking again if I use the potty. Uh Uh-oh, am I bad for not using it? They naturally come to this question of, am I bad? So parents can say, you know, I love you if you use the potty. I love you if you don't. When you're ready, you'll do it. And leave it at that. The child feels, you know, less eyes on them. It's, that's a really good gut check. If, if you are hearing a ton about any of these things, something is overemphasized mm-hmm. and back off. Yeah. Because when, when something's being talked about too much, whether that's what food is the child eating? Or mm-hmm. did he hit today? Did he hit today? Did he bite today? So why is this taking on a life of its own? Right? Two-year-olds hit, three-year-olds bite. Not a great behavior, but normal. And it can, the child can be helped with it. So if it's being focused on too much, the child gets that much more anxious. Right? They start to get worked up more. And what young children need is for the parents to help bring them down in those emotions. Like you don't have to bite when you're angry. I can give you something else to do. You can be angry. We'll work on something else you can do when you're angry. Alice Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace. Their mission is to help people get insurance right by making it easy for them to understand their options, compare quotes, and buy a policy all in one place. Since 2014, they've helped over 30 million people shop for life insurance and have placed $45 billion in coverage. So here are some fun facts. Life insurance provides a tax-free lump sum of money to your loved ones after your death so you can make sure they're able to pay everyday bills children's college costs, or final expenses. 
You can choose how many years your policy will last. That's the term and the amount that will be paid out if you die, the limits. I know these are really terrifying things to think about, but it's important when you have kids to think about these things and plan. Term life insurance, which lasts for a set amount of time before expiring, is the right type of insurance for most people. You pay for the policy in the form of the monthly or annual premiums, and these costs vary from insurer to insurer. So it's important to compare your options before you buy. So while you're thinking about all of these things as we have to as responsible parents, you can go to policygenius.com to get started. Policy Genius. You can save over 50% or more by comparing quotes and feel good knowing that if something happens, your loved ones will be taken care of. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's important to get it right. Trying to balance work, home, relationships, and everything else is challenging for everyone. And on top of our everyday obligations, we have to deal with underlying fear and uncertainty from the pandemic. With many of our normal support systems no longer in place, Working with a therapist can give you the support that you're missing right now. And having someone to talk through your worries and help prioritize what's really important can do wonders. Because now more than ever, it's a good idea to seek out a little extra help for our busy and demanding lives. I wholeheartedly recommend Talkspace for therapy. It's so easy for busy parents. You can sign up online and start therapy the same day. You can text, you can video, you can send messages to your licensed therapist. It's really convenient to have virtual sessions in the comfort of your own home. And before this pandemic, that wasn't even something that was considered best practices, but we've learned since we've had no choice that it's actually incredibly supportive. Talkspace is secure and private. Using the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information and complying with the latest HIPAA regulations, you can feel safe and trust that what you are doing and talking about is secure. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists with years of experience in over 40 specialties, including depression, anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, relationship issues, food and eating, and so much more. As a listener of this podcast, you get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match you with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code HUMANS to get $100 off your first month. That's H-U-M-A-N-S and it's on Talkspace.com. Today's episode is partially brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage I've ever tried. It can be hard when you're super busy and have so much stress to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients that we need to thrive. These busy schedules we have as parents, as caregivers, as practitioners, the poor sleep, the exercise, stress, or simply just not eating enough of the right foods can add up to missing some good old fashioned daily requirements. This is why Athletic Green can help. They have a daily all-in-one superfood powder that is your nutritional essential. It's so easy and it's really good. So you can just make it a nutritional habit. You pour it into your water, shake it up, and that's that. One tasty scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. And they all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. They increase your energy 
They can aid with digestion and support your immune system, all without the need to take any vitamins. Whether you're looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy and gut health each day really simple, tasty, and efficient. So simply visit athleticgreens.com slash humans and make a daily commitment to your everyday health. That's athleticgreens.com slash humans and you can get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Let's talk about responding to the toddler in the moment of hitting or biting the sibling. Yeah. So this is a common one, particularly as children get older. Like siblings really roughhouse. They love each other. They don't love each other. They they play, they fight, they play, they fight. And if you have both, then you have a healthy sibling relationship, right? It wouldn't be normal actually to have it be love, 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 love all the time because it would probably mean they're hiding one's hiding feelings. Yeah. But um it can get intense. I mean as children get older they can say mean things to each other. They can be very rough physically. And you know, and I often hear parents say, I've told my children they may not touch each other. They can't hit each other. And I say, well, I don't believe in violence. I'm a very much a pacifist person. And I want children to be kind and compassionate in the world and for the most part to each other. But siblings are a safe place. They're like a safe arena. I love you. I trust you. We're in in a pandemic. We're together a lot. And so I act it all out. And the more parents can step back and allow the children to work that out, the better. Uh, they will hit, they will do things to each other, but they're like puppies. You know, they're like two puppies. Mm-hmm. I see this, I don't own dogs, but I watch other people's dogs if I'm out. And they they rough house and then they're like nipping at each other and biting and then they run off and they lay down and they go to sleep together. Yeah, sweet exactly. little thing. That's what siblings are like if you let them be. But as, as adults, we tend to, to see their aggression almost as if it's adult aggression. And we live in a, a world that's filled with terrible aggression. And so we tend to interpret children that way too, but they, they truly are children. And what I always say to parents is, are you seeing love? Are you seeing loving moments between them? And almost always the parents will say to me, oh, yes. In fact, much of the time they play together or they're kind to each other. It's in these moments of conflict that the parent has a hard time. And so if you can recognize that this is one piece of a lifelong relationship, the more children can have that conflict and work it out, the closer they get. Why? Because they recognize, I don't always like you. I don't like when you take my toy. I don't like when you won't play the game I want to play. I don't like when you make up the rules and I disagree with the rules. And so they're very open and free to show that conflict. But can parents have a tolerance line that varies by parent? Sure. So every parent has to decide when is it too much. But when it's too much and you go in to say to, let's say your two-year-old and your four-year-old, you're basically saying enough, cross the line enough. You have to go in as a parent, you have to be neutral. Mm. And what we tend to do as parents, I'm a parent, you're a parent, right? We tend to favor the little one. 
You tend to go in and say to the older child at whatever age, come on, you know better. She's just wants to play with you. She's just little, right? So, and what happens? The older one gets more and more and more resentful of their younger sibling. But you can go in very neutrally and say, this isn't working. This is enough. And parents do it differently. You might say, all right, we're going to take a break. I'm going to separate the two of you. Every parent will tell you. The children then say, no, we want to be together. And then you've sort of learned your lesson that, you know, inter- intervening doesn't necessarily work. Yeah. Um, but a parent can say, yeah, but you know what? It's too much. It's too loud. It's too physical. We're going to find something else to do. If children really aren't getting along, sometimes you do separate them. But the less you have to intervene, honestly, the better. Because we always, almost always favor the younger one. And the younger ones know how to needle the older one. Oh, yeah. I'm the younger. You're the younger, right? So I've done it. They needle them and they worship them at the same time. And so what we tend to do is say things like, oh, he loves you so much. Look at how much he loves you. We don't protect the older one to say, it's really got to be hard to have a younger brother or sister. Oh, I remember what it was like to have a younger brother. So to commiserate with them somewhat is a much better plan because then that older child will say something like, yeah, I don't like when she's in my room. But then they might also go back to playing with that child. Because they got really recognize that it's, it's a back and forth. It's a back and forth between positive and negative, between love and hate, between like and dislike. That's what siblings are. And I love, you know, when you don't intervene and they are playing like puppies and it, yeah, I mean, I just walked my dog this morning and whenever she sees another dog, she growls. Yeah. But the reason she's growling is because she wants to get near them to play. Right. right. And then once she can play, then they're doing things. Then they, you know, if it goes too far, you yank your dog away. But most exactly. of the time, nobody's getting hurt. They're nipping in this. They know they have the yeah. right. You want them to have that self-regulation and, and grow into the idea that they know when roughhousing gets too rough. Too much. And I always, you know, I I say this in my book that I see siblings as a lab for later. And what I mean by that is in a loving family, you know, assuming that even under stress or whatever other tensions or issues a family is dealing with, that there's love as a foundation and nurturance, that siblings learn to fight and work it out or even not work it out to say, I don't want to play with you. I'm going in the other room without you or yeah. right. They learn, but they learn to manage it. Let's call it that. They learn to deal with conflict because they have to only children don't have to deal with conflict. Siblings have to deal with conflict, no choice, but to deal with it. They learn to problem solve. They learn when they're going to compromise and when they're not because it goes both ways. They learn to share, not because they want to sometimes, but maybe if I give you a little of what I have, you'll then play with me. So they actually learn all kinds of skills and strength that they then take out into the world. They learn confidence, right? I'm trying to catch my older sibling who can ride that bike and I can't. It empowers them to want to do that. It can be motivating to have siblings, but it really does look unpleasant and ugly at times. And that's the hard part for parents. 
So when siblings do that thing with each other where they're needling each other mm-hmm. and let's talk, let's think about this, like the, the younger sibling trying to catch up or trying to learn something when that older sibling turns around and is not supportive and is mm-hmm. like knocking them back down. Mm-hmm. We might feel that feeling of just that visceral feeling of that how is dare so cruel. you, how dare you do that? They were trying so hard and you're going to ruin their confidence. Mm-hmm. But if we do our best to stay out of that moment, that little one grows into the confident. Mm-hmm. Was that a, but was that bike riding? I can't remember the example. What with it being one. Yeah. Step ago? I think it's, I, I think part of it is understanding that there are many, many interactions that siblings have over time. And in a pandemic, there's even more. There's millions more right. time together. So they're both bonding in really tight ways, right? Maybe that first grader wouldn't have been home so much. Yes. And that three-year-old gets to spend more time with their first grader, but they're also in more conflict siblings mm-hmm. because they're together more. So it's both. They're both working it out more and they're fighting more. They're bonding more and they need more time apart. So it's all of it sort of, thinking mixed in the pot of the pandemic, but the outcome in the long run should be more bonding, you know, our closeness that they may not have had. So getting back to the conflict, what do you do in those moments? Much of it is self-reflection on the parent's part, not right at that moment, but if you're a younger sibling, you're going to almost always take the younger sibling's side. For sure. If you're an older sibling, then you have to really think about was the pressure put on me to act nice all the time? And was I never allowed to say, my younger sibling is rotten. I don't want him here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the negative part that we have to, to figure out. So again, going back to the example of watching that younger sibling with like sparkly eyes, watching their older sibling ride a bicycle and you can see that this child wants to try it and the older sibling says no get out of here it's my bike it feels terrible as a parent but if you can stay out of it usually that older sibling will come around at some point and say okay now you can have a turn or now you can try it but what we tend to do i also have a firstborn everybody has a firstborn is we tend to go over to them and say, can't you just let her do it once? Totally. Can't you be nice? And then that child, they it builds their resentment. As instead opposed, of their niceness. Instead of their niceness. Yeah. Instead of saying, you are loving riding your bike right now. I, I see you're loving it. If you feel like it at some point, you want to give your sister a turn, cool. And then it's really up to the child. So the more we can take a step back and really let the children work this out. They do, but they do it in a pretty ugly way. I had to learn that as a parent. I'm a middle, I'm a middle of three and I have I was just going to ask you, Yeah, you were an oldest. I'm a middle of three. And I had a mother who worked in a generation that mothers didn't necessarily have careers. And so we, we were left to our own a lot, which we both loved and hated, right? Because we fought over what TV programs to watch after school. We fought over which snack we were going to have. Like, I think we fought over everything. But we also completely bonded and are very, very close as adults. But when I became a parent, and I'm also the mother of three, it was hard to handle the level of conflict that could go on. And sometimes I did it really well, and sometimes I didn't. And when I didn't, my kids would say to me, stay out of this. Totally. 
they were very clear <laughs> yeah. to me. Like when I would get to that point that I wasn't following my own advice and I would go in and say, you're really being mean, usually to the youngest one, they would say, stay out of this. Because I think I had said enough times, you have each other, you know, you'll figure it out. Figure you have each out. other, you can handle this. Uh, so they would throw that back at me and they were right. I still I get that. Out, but there were times that I just couldn't stand the level of aggression or things that they were yelling at each other. Um, but I have two out of the house and one still home. And they do what they call brother Zoom calls. You know, it could be 11 o'clock at night. I said, what are you doing? To my youngest, who's a teenager. He said, brother Zoom. And they'll be on for an hour, hour plus together, right? Yes. I'm like, oh, all of that fighting led to these tight bonds. But you have to really know that it's for the long run. And to any parent listening, you can have, you can have your limits. You can go in and say, it's enough. Yeah, you push. a lot of hitting. There's a lot of biting. Enough. And either they'll say, no, we want to be together, or they'll be happy to be separated. May not be happy, but you can separate them. So you have to know what your limit is and ask yourself, is that reasonable within the larger picture? Right. And, you know, it may be that they're fighting and you're on a Zoom and everybody's home and your limit is a little bit Mm-hmm. less flexible. And you're like, yeah, whatever is happening here needs to be away from me or right. I'm going to intervene. Yeah. My line to my children for years was, and, and I didn't say this nicely, take that in the other room. In other words, I've reached my limit on how much of the yelling and screaming and chaos of the three of them that I could handle. And they would stop because they would realize, oh, she means business. And they would run into the other room and they would close the door. And then they'd go back to fighting, which I thought was funny but I didn't really think it was funny. And then I would approach the door as every parent knows who has more than one child. You kind of get there and you're listening like, uh, is this really going to get dangerous? And just as I would think, all right, I can't stand this. I need to intervene. They'd be laughing. Absolutely. They'd be laughing. And I say that same thing in not so nice a way, which is essentially yeah. like this, whatever is going on, get out of my face. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> otherwise you will intervene. And if- But the nice thing about that message that you give, that I give, is it's basically saying to them, this is your relationship. Take it elsewhere <laughs> and it's yours. And we're saying to them, you have a special relationship. And I think that's an important message for parents. Even though it doesn't look pretty all the time, it's their relationship, not ours. And ultimately, what I think if, if every parent looks at themselves and sort of digs deep, what you want is the siblings to be bonded on one side. And if there is more than one parent, the parents to be bonded on the other side. So the us versus them is the children on one side, the parents on the other. Because then in times of need, the children are like, ooh, mommy's really mad right now, but we have each other. Yeah. Because in life, we want them to have each other's back. I'll tell you a funny story. I'm just remembering this. I went to a high school in Cleveland Heights. Shout out to Cleveland Heights High School. And I was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And so were two brothers who are both NFL players. The Kelsey brothers. So people listening might know them. So these two brothers are inducted, two big guys. One's a center, one's a wide receiver, the big guys, right? And we're all there together. And Travis Kelsey gets up to make his acceptance speech and starts to cry and cannot get through. This huge guy back at his high school, right? I had cried during mine. So he gets up and he's like, 
like Tova, I mean, we called ourselves the Friars. His big brother goes over to him, puts his arm around him and pats him like on the chest, like on his heart, says to him, you're going to be okay. And then he gets through his speech. We're all crying. I say to them after these two huge guys, I'm like, I have three sons. All I want for them is to have each other's back. Did you guys fight when you were kids? They burst out laughing. They were like, Tova, fought? (laughs) Ask my parents. They like point to their parents in the audience, of course practically killed each other. And there they are in this moment, right there for each other. That's what every parent wants for their child, ultimately. Are you going to be there for your sibling when they fall down on the playground and nobody's looking and you're not showing off, you just go and help them? Not when we're there, but when we're not there, are you going to be there for them in life? That's really what, why we have siblings. Because who in their right mind would pour on this? <laughs> too difficult otherwise. it's too hard otherwise yeah oh that's such a beautiful story and that is exactly mm-hmm. what what more do you want what more do you want what more do you want the story that goes with that is when one of my kids was in pre-k at the same elementary school that his brothers were at wait tova will yeah. you start again but there's some wrestling going oh, on sorry the story that i when i really knew my children had each other's back my middle child was very rough with his younger brother that was definitely love hate writ large. And when the younger one was in pre-K at the same elementary school where the brothers, the older brothers were, he had a toileting accident, which he had never had literally in his life. He was one of those children, toilet trained and then was toilet trained. And he was, of course, very upset. And he said to the teacher, I need my brother. He was crying. I need my brother. So she went and got his middle brother, not the oldest one who would have like, you know, been like a father figure. Got the middle one. And that one came and he helped him, took him into the bathroom, I guess, helped him change his clothes. And when they came home from school that day, my youngest one said, yeah, my brother came and helped me. So then I felt better. And then I said to my middle one, oh, he went to help him because he was always so like rough with him and angry that he had ever been born. It seemed he was like, of course I did, mom. He was upset. Oh. And that's the flip side of all the aggression and the negativity is out in the world, we've got it. And that is really, really what we wish for for our siblings. We want them to outlive us. We want them to have each other for life. 